talk about a change of topic. Do we have free will, really? It's become popular in philosophical circles in recent years to say, no, not really. But it's a debate that's raged through the centuries. Were you always going to watch the Rugby World Cup final this morning or not watch it, whether you think you chose to watch it or not? If you left the sausage rolls in the oven too long because you were caught up in the game? Was that predicted 13.8 billion years ago? Uh, As people have pointed out uh, gleefully, if determinism is correct, everything since the Big Bang has been preordained. The word history originally meant investigation, but maybe it was just settled right there and then. According to some determinists, it's just been like a book already written that we keep turning the pages of. I wonder how many pages there are and what the ending's going to be. To discuss this today, we haven't assembled a panel of professors. We have the medical reporter from New Scientist with us. Claire Wilson has the advantage of being across some of the latest research in this area. Hello, Claire. Hello. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on to the show. Now, you and I, I'm, I'm commandeering an example of yours. You and I approach a bowl full of nuts, all in good condition. You choose a walnut. I go for a hazelnut. All they're chosen for us. That's free will versus determinism in a nutshell. In a nutshell, Claire. In a nutshell. <laughs> yes. Well, I know what I would choose because I actually don't like walnuts. But um, I don't think anybody else would know what I would choose. They might think it was random. But the crazy idea is that maybe all our decisions, not just you know what to pick from a, a nut bowl, Um, Maybe if there was an intelligent enough being out there that could scan our brains and see the position of every brain cell, every molecule, every atom, maybe they would know what we would decide. So that's the question. Do we live in a deterministic universe? I know. Well, getting to what you found... Uh, or were somehow steered to without your knowing. Um, (laughs) There there is new writing, isn't there, on this age-old topic? I mean, speaking of which, why did we start... Why did we... Let's go back. Why did we start wondering about this in the first place, do you think? I think it's such an ancient question. I mean, we've all, you know, sometimes wished we'd made a different decision and and wondered what might have happened if we'd made a different decision. And maybe um, it also goes to, you know, other people's decisions. We we might sometimes think that somebody else has made a wrong decision and should be punished for their decision, perhaps if they commit a crime. Um, So I think people have always been endlessly fascinated by this question of just how much choice do we have over our actions? You know, if you and I could somehow go back, if there was a blip in the matrix and you and I could somehow go back to age 19, you know, to begin adult life all over again so as not to make the same mistakes, um, I suppose determinism says we'd make the same mistakes. Exactly. So the, the determinism theory, the idea that we don't have free will, would say that everything that happens in the universe, uh, you know, it always it was always going to happen that way um because you know every, every kind of the movement of every atom is determined by the positions of atoms you know one second before or microsecond before there are huge implications aren't there like uh, not putting people in prison for example that's a good example i think for what they do yeah i mean that's a bit of an extreme position perhaps um Uh, A less extreme position would be to say, well, perhaps we should just not judge people so harshly. And, um, 
you know, when they do commit crimes, perhaps we should be thinking, well, their brains made them do it in a way. Did they really have any choice? And there's a, a famous neuroscientist called Robert Sapolsky, and he actually does make that argument. And he's, you know, he's done a lot of research that shows the effects of um, stress on young people's brains and how, you know, that can affect uh, people who were, have very difficult childhoods that might make them more likely to commit crimes in later life. The judiciaries in both our countries practice a version of that now, take into account all sorts of life circumstances. So an alternative might be you put everybody who might cause us harm if they weren't, you know, kept away from society onto an island. I mean, in other words, you (laughs) you treat them more beneficently than we're currently doing. But, I mean, there are kind of practical solutions, but this is all hypothesis because we don't quite know about how much free will we've got. Yes. I mean, it is fascinating to think, well, if you really do believe that we don't have free will, in theory, you should not only be much more lenient when criminals commit crime, but even in your everyday life. And I have, when I was writing my article, I have, um, I did ask some of these scientists and philosophers who do believe that we don't have free will, well, what would you actually do if, you know, somebody did something terrible to you personally? If your, your, your husband or wife was unfaithful to you, would you actually just say, oh, well, I guess they can't help it because their brain made them do it. And I haven't really had a, a very good answer from any of them saying, yes, I'd be fine with that. So it's it's kind of more a theoretical debate, I think, than, than something that most people would be able to actually translate to real life. Yeah, and we'll keep this at an everyday level, I think, mostly. But I, I was thinking of another example. Uh, we stick to moderation, many of us, in our diet, for example. We make a vow maybe not to have sugar at night that's what i try and do when mm-hmm. we, you know when we feel like eating chocolate in front of the telly and that works fine and one night suddenly it doesn't and we reach for the chocolate bar and we know we shouldn't and we think what happened to my free will just now does that sort of thing happen to you mm, that's a really good example i think i think it's a really common example where people you know might they might decide with their conscious brain i'm going to do x and then Later, for some reason that they can't quite put their finger on, they haven't done it. They've done Y instead. For me, my thing that happened to me today is, you know, I often decide the night before I'm going to go for a swim at the gym in the morning before work. And then just this morning, my alarm clock went off and I'm afraid I just turned it off and turned over and went back to sleep. So I, uh, you know... Do I have free will then? Can I can I just blame my the atoms in my brain for that decision or or should I take a bit of responsibility for it myself? Yes, you see, I mean self-improvement like you're going to the gym, you know, striving for excellence, seeking to know ourselves better and better through life and be better people. All a great waste of time really if you subscribe to the de- determinist view. Uh, or am I reading that wrong? Well, I think if you take an extreme deterministic view, you could you could argue is is there any that you know there's no point me striving to do differently because my brain is always going to make the decisions uh, that it was always predetermined you know predestined to make. I'd love to tell you about this really cool experiment that was done that's really um, 
affected the kind of the free will debate for decades. Oh, please and at a, Can I tell you? Yeah. Yeah. So this was um, invented by a scientist in America called Benjamin Liebert. And he, uh, what, what he, the setup is you get a volunteer to sit with their hand on a button and tell them you can press this button at a, a random interval. You, you, you know, I'll say go and then you just take as long as you like, press the button. And they watch a, a timer, a very accurate timer, and then they report back to the experimenter the instant on this timer that they made the decision to move. And as they're doing it, um, the, the volunteers have uh, kind of uh, electrodes placed on their scalp, and this monitors changes in their brain activity. And the scientists see um, that just like a micro, a fraction of a second before they actually feel like they've taken the decision to move, there's a rise in brain activity before that happened. So that seems to suggest that it's actually unconscious brain activity that caused them to take that decision to press the button. So that has always been taken as evidence against free will. And it's pretty persuasive, and it's a really clever experiment he did. It's nevertheless, hasn't it, been challenged quite strenuously. When I was reading what you've written, I noticed that people say basically, yeah, but that's an experiment in a lab when we make other decisions in life that doesn't necessarily happen. Yeah, you're right. So um, that is a, a, the, the, one of the biggest criticisms of it is um, maybe because of the way you ask the person to do the experiment, you're telling them to press a button at random, just kind of do it on a whim. Um, they're taking that as as a as a signal to just do it really whenever they get a bit of unconscious brain activity that says hey go, whereas in real life when it comes to important decisions like maybe like shall I have a chocolate bar or shall I stick to my diet we're not really influenced by that kind of unconscious brain activity we do tend to make more deliberative decisions. The randomness associated with particles in quantum physics popping up all over the place, uh, seems to give the lie to determinism, doesn't it? All the outcomes that are 50-50. Yes. But, of course, that could also be preordained by a great big brain. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's another really good argument um, that is often taken to challenge the deterministic idea because quantum physics, and this is getting quite hard now, yeah. um, but quantum physics says that when it comes to the move, uh, the kind of the movement of subatomic particles, um, they can exist as a kind of spread of possibilities that only collapses into something definite when observed or measured. But when you, although these particles do behave um, as you would expect on mass, if you can manage to observe just single particles, they do seem to take within a certain range a, a random position. So in other words, at its most kind of fine-grained level, the universe is non-deterministic. So if that's true, well, couldn't something similar to that be going on in our brains? The thing about the... Yes, and you also remind us about chaos theory, which we go, won't get too far into, although you've kind of alluded to it there a bit. But the thing about the universe, though, is that there could be huge amounts of chaos uh, we don't know about. I mean, it all seems very orderly and deterministic, you know, observing black holes with telescopes and so on, we think we know. But um, what about the dark matter and all the stuff we can't see? There, there does seem actually, when you get below the surface of things, to be an enormous amount of chaos out there. 
Absolutely. I mean, they can even see uh, chaotic patterns, even just in our own weather systems. And this is, you know, it's it's that cl- the classic example of chaos theory uh, is often cited of, you know, a butterfly might flap its wings in one part of the world and it ends up causing a hurricane in another part of the world. And that's sometimes misinterpreted as just um, meaning that, well, okay, small, small changes can have very large effects, but it, it's actually even worse than that. Chaos theory is a branch of maths that tells us that complex systems can be so sensitive to small changes that it's effectively unpredictable. And I don't claim to know all the equations, but mathematicians tell us that there are equations that describe chaos theory that that actually prove that in some complex systems, end results can be just impossible to predict. Um, And so in a way that gives the lie to the idea that uh, you know, everything is predictable. Your brain is always going to make the same decisions. I mean, the human brain is often described as the most complex object in the known universe. So uh, probably much more complex than the weather system on Earth. So if the weather system on Earth can demonstrate unpredictable pat- chaotic patterns, then surely the human brain can too. So maybe our our decisions are an outcome of kind of... N- you know, unpredictable and quantumly non-deterministic processes. Maybe things are getting a bit more chaotic because I noticed that the the weather modelling has become a little less reliable globally (laughs) currently as well. Well, that's that's something that we love to talk about in Britain, about how how bad weather forecasters are. And yes, but it does does see actually in the UK, it has uh, felt like that for a little while. Tell us if you would also... Uh, along the same lines of maybe the chaos that we don't perceive, about the experiments with fruit flies in Germany, Claire, if you would. Oh, yes, I love that. Because, you know, you're, we, all, we, we love to think about how complex the human brain is and whether or not the human brain uh, could have free will. But obviously it's very hard for scientists to study the human brain without, uh, you know, destroying it in the process. So... Uh, one way into this problem is to look at the behavior of much simpler creatures. So a fly is put into a, a completely white chamber, a kind of circular drum with no visual cues in it at all. And when they watch the motion of these flies zigging and zagging all over the place, you can actually see the hallmark signatures of chaos theory. You know, the same equations that scientists mathematical equations that scientists have developed to describe chaos theory they you can see the signatures of that in just the zigs and zags of a fruit fly so if we can't even predict the zigs and zags of a fruit fly how how could we ever predict decisions that come out of the human brain (laughs) claire wilson is with us from new scientist but you see out of stanford university comes this opinion that maybe accords more with our intuition that the more we discover about the brain, the less room there seems to be actually for free will. The DNA doesn't lie. Can you explain that? Oh, yes. So this is uh, Robert Sapolsky's uh, view that he has actually just put forward this month in his new book, uh, which is called Determined. And it's a great read, although it's an absolutely huge book. (laughs) So it's quite heavy going. But um, he he argues that, um, you know, the more we discover about how the brain works 
and all the different influences on human behavior, the less room there is to get in any capacity for, you know, true, true free will, independent decision making. So as you've mentioned, you know, things like we know that there are hundreds of DNA variants that can influence our likelihood of, say, being depressed or being prone to losing our temper explosively. Um, we know that, you know, how well the mother, a mum eats during pregnancy that can affect her baby's uh, later life mental health. Or, or as we talked about earlier, you know, if you have, if you're unfortunate enough to have a, an abusive childhood, we all know that can make you more likely to commit crimes. So when you put all those kind of things together, does that leave any room for free will? Yes, and quoting uh, your Stanford neuroscientist, Sapolsky, we know enough to suggest we won't make any startling new discoveries to indicate that the brain can avoid being influenced by such factors. It would require some findings that defy most of biology to find a place to shoehorn free will in. There's no crack where you could discover that, you know, here's where someone decided to rob the liquor store. Well, I mean, unless we have minds separate from brains, of course, that would be uh, an out an out clause from that. That would be an option. But then, if we, if our minds aren't uh, an output of our biological brains, so you know, a few pounds of grey matter that sloshes around inside our skull, then what are our minds made of? That if is. You want to argue? Yeah. If you want to argue, our minds are made of something else. That seems to require a kind of. Um, rather regressive view of the brain, you know, the, the old-fashioned ideas of dualism, that the mind is somehow some kind of ghost in the machine, some kind of spooky essence that hovers somewhere above our skull. I mean, I don't personally believe in that kind of a mind. I do believe it is an output of my brain. It's interesting, though. I have talked to a couple of neuroscientists over the years, um, you know, who are very clever people, obviously, who do support the mind-brain duality. But I mean, that's not something <laughs> that you and I Ooh. need. <laughs> that you and I I'd need. love to hear that program. I've got to go back and listen to your shows where you talk <laughs> to them. Uh, but getting back to the simple question of whether prisoners should be in prisons, you know, and whether they should be all free to live on an island somewhere if they've transgressed and sinned against society, so they don't beat us up or ram raid shop windows. Uh, this. This is not an arbitrary fantasy in a way, because as I said, our judiciaries consider more and more people's life circumstances and, and backgrounds. So uh, there are implications here. I mean, maybe in the future, people will again seriously consider options like antisocial islands for the sake of fairness. You know, there, there are implications from what you've been writing about. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we don't have a convenient island right now, but um, no. it's very hard to know. You know, if trends continue, then maybe we in the UK, we will go more down that route. But, um, you know, I've got to admit, if somebody did something horrible to a member of my family, I would be wanting them to be punished because there is that kind of primeval feeling like you chose to do this. Yeah. Therefore, I need my revenge. Yes. But I, I've yes. Got, yeah, I've got to accept that, you know, maybe that's some kind of illogical instinct in me. But it is a deep instinct in us, and th this whole argument, you know, in favour of, uh, you know, understanding criminals, for example, more and more, uh, I'm not arguing against it, but 
it also negates the areas of redemption and self-improvement and overcoming what fate throws at us, which is a giant, gigantic part of the human story. It, it's a really tricky, actually, actual, tricky area to assess, actually. It absolutely is, and I, you know, I wouldn't want to be a judge handing down prison sentences, especially as Robert Sapolsky argues. You know, the more we know about genetics having influences on our personalities and impulses, then the more we know about how you know abusive childhoods, for instance, can affect people's you know tendency to commit crimes. It's it's like, well, what's what is there left if you want to blame somebody for committing a crime, then. The, the more influences we understand on behaviour, then uh, there seems to be less and less room for uh, people to take responsibility. Yeah. There is evidence uh, that, as you say, the first life forms used energy to work against the second law of thermodynamics, the principle that everything tends to become more disorganised over time. That's how we evolved and that's how we stay alive. When you think of it that way, it's case closed, isn't it? It's determination beats <laughs> beats determinism. I love that phrase. I wish I'd uh, thought of that myself for my article. But yeah, so this is a different way of looking at the problem. And this is espoused by Kevin Mitchell, who's another neuroscientist um, from Dublin. So he says, well, like a lot of things in biology, it, it makes more sense when you think about evolution. Let's go back to the simplest versions of the problem. So when the very first life forms on Earth evolved, you know, there were things, let's think about them as things quite similar to bacteria today. Uh, there are technical differences, but, you know, they're just really tiny, single-celled creatures. Um, he says that's almost a defining quality of life. So before the, for the first life forms evolved, lots of stuff happened on Earth. You know, chemicals reacted with each other and and um, the water you know, waves formed on the oceans, but these are all inert physical processes. But when you had those first life forms, they used energy uh, to help themselves stay alive. And as you say, to, they worked against the second law of thermodynamics. They, they, they used energy to do stuff. For the first time, we could say these tiny little beings had agency. They um, worked against all the forces that kind of would otherwise cause them to die. And so if we think of our version of free will as just a kind of highly evolved version of this agency, um, that, that does help to put a different light on it and perhaps see that maybe everything that's living on Earth has this kind of, has a kind of free will. Yeah. Well, a couple more things. I mean, doesn't determinism actually mean that before you and I were both born there were causal mechanisms in play that meant we would make each other's acquaintance in this way today, which seems daft. And it does. And maybe <laughs> it does. And this is. But I sorry, mean, no, this I, is my I, problem with it too. I absolutely agree. This is a major problem with the deterministic, no free will school of thought, because and and I would love to put this question to the anti-free will people, because by their logic, actually, if you were to rewind the universe back to the even the Big Bang, then in theory, you should be able to predict every single thing that happened from the Big Bang onwards. And I just cannot believe that that is true, that even, you know, from 
the moment of the Big Bang, you could predict that you would be sat there and I would be sat here and we'd be talking to each other. And yet we are probably all in our lives aware of those strange felicities and synchronicities which occur. And you can't explain them. And people do say, you know, blips in the matrix. You know, the funny Mm. little coincidences of life uh, that you just... Uh, scratch your head over and think, how could that happen? Gee, that was amazing. That's far more than coincidence. You know, it's interesting that that happens. It is. So I guess you'd be kind of arguing that it's fate and that there are, you know, larger forces at work there that maybe are responsible for you just bumping into a friend who you haven't seen for 20 years on the other side of the world. Um, that I have seen an argument that says, well, that's just because we remember the interesting coincidences that happened to us. Hmm. All those near coincidences um, that we weren't aware of when you passed the friend on the other side of the street and didn't even notice them, even though you were both walking through New York, you know, on the other side of the world from where you normally live, you don't know about those. So you can't count all those near coincidences. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, yeah, good point. What about, speaking of points, what about the pointlessness of life? Because do the proponents of determinism have to concede that there's not much point to it, especially to an unhappy life? And there have been billions of unhappy lives. There's not much point to those if you're just a cipher being steered along. But it's great fun being a, a, a cipher living on Earth, isn't it? I mean, Eric can be. Um, gosh, that's a bit of a nihilistic way to view things. Also, I don't even believe in the deterministic theory of free will anymore. I th- so I, ch- I, I read both the books, the one that argues for free will and the one that argues against it. And I ended up thinking that I kind of do you know, more or less think, well, it's possible that we have free will, so that's good enough for me. Good enough for us. All right, so Einstein, <laughs> so in your view, Einstein was wrong when he said God doesn't roll dice. Uh, things happen, they just do. I, I wouldn't dare argue with Einstein, but um, <laughs> I don't know whether God plays dice, but um, I'm happy to have a roll of the dice for, uh, while I'm here. That's your book, that's your next book. Claire Einstein yes. <laughs> Einstein was wrong by Claire Wilson. <laughs> hey, lovely to talk to you and thank you for a great examination of free will versus determinism. It's got us all thinking. Thanks so much. It was very interesting.